Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Villages Church in Wildwood, Florida. We are a multi-generational community of grace on mission, and you are always invited to join us online or in person. Learn more about us at sevenriversvillages.org. Actually, you can remain standing for the reading of God's Word as you're able. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 11, the end of 11, beginning of 12. So 11, 27 through 12, 9. I apologize, it's uh, different from what's in, printed in here, but that's all right. Hear now the reading of God's Word from Genesis 11:27. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren, she had no child. Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran his grandson and Sarai his daughter-in-law his son Abram's wife and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Mori. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. This morning we are in awe of you and we want to see you, Jesus, in every word, every line, every page of the Old Testament. You are the God of covenant promises. And so we ask that as we are reminded afresh this morning, that you would quicken our hearts, that you would remove any assumptions that we have of who you are that are not of the Bible. And we ask that you would remind us of your grace and your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, as Stephen said, my name is Josh Gilman. Um, I live in Tampa, Florida. Anybody been to Tampa recently? It's a busy place. Uh, we are grieving this morning. Our bolts got knocked out of the playoffs, but we'll be okay. We'll be okay. Um, I have uh, with me this morning my lovely wife, Laura. Uh, she's a school teacher, works with kids uh, who have varying needs uh, and special uh, 
needs in the school system. And we also have four kids with us. Uh, my oldest, Caleb, is 10, and then Asher is 8, Leah is 6, and Levi is 4. Uh, I think I got them all right. So it is a privilege to be with you this morning. Um, you'll get to know me better as I preach by some of the stories and illustrations that I share. But the one thing uh, that I want you to know for certain is that it is a privilege to be with you this morning. Um, preaching the Word of God is one of the greatest joys of my life, um, and I'm honored to be with you. Um, as we look at Genesis this morning, I like to think of this as kind of a well-worn path for some of us. Genesis is a book that whenever you start your reading plan every year, you usually make it at least through Genesis, right? And then you get to Deuteronomy, and it's, it's hard. It's hard. Um, and so as we study Genesis together, it, it reminds me of uh, when my wife and I first got married, um, and I was looking into ministry, felt a call, but didn't know what it looked like. And I asked her to move with me to Lakanto, Florida. And she had never been to Lakanto, uh, had never, we had never listened, she had never listened to a sermon by the church that we were headed to. And God was so gracious in our first years of marriage there. Um, it was some of the sweetest time for us to be in a small community of believers who love Jesus um, and to work at a church uh, that was just loved Jesus and knew the grace of God. Um, and so as we open our, uh, our Bibles together this morning, I'd invite you to keep them open. We're going to move right through. If you've got a cell phone and you've got a Bible app, do that. Um, but here's the thing we want to see. We want to see that God's blessing is so much more than a promise to, uh, to physical wealth. I think a lot of times as we talk about the word blessed in our culture today, we lose sight that to be blessed as the people of God is to be a part of what God is doing, his kingdom and where it is going. And so we're going to look at three truths this morning. Uh, first, the source of blessing, the state of blessing, and then the blessing of a savior, of what God ultimately wants to do. Um, there, I read a story this week about a missionary whose name was Karen Watson. She went to modern-day Iraq to do ministry, humanitarian aid, um, and before she left, she wrote a letter to her family. She wanted them to know how much she loved them. She left personal notes in there, and uh, sadly, she was gunned down uh, in the streets of Iraq, but the beginning of the letter began this way. She said, if you're reading this, I've died. It included gracious words to her family and friends, but here was the most important part of the letter. She said, to obey was my objective, to suffer was expected, and the glory of God was my reward. To go and be the hands and feet of Jesus to people who were dying spiritually was her greatest desire. And so as we think about this passage, what I want us to, to remember is God's blessing is so much greater than a bloodline or a boundary. In Jesus Christ, we've been given so much more. But the promise to Abram was one that held fast in the midst of a lot of adversity, a lot of trials. As we think about the book of Genesis, the beginning moves from creation to Babel, verse, uh, chapters 1 through 11, and then 12 through 50, talk about the blessing of God, the promise of God centering on a family, on the family of Abraham. Um, if, if I had wanted to this morning, we probably could sing the song Father Abraham together. Do you all know that song? We sing it with our children, um, and the reality this morning is we want to remember the reason why we hold fast to the promises of Abraham, and ask the question, 
Are we heirs to the blessing that was extended to Abram? We also want to remember when this passage would have been written and recounted for the first time. So the Israelites were gathered on the plains of Moab, um, and this would have been read to them, and they would have had some major questions on their mind as they were preparing to head towards the promised land of uh, where, were, where had they come from? As we think about this this morning, where have you come from in your life? What are some of the rhythms and the, the themes of God's grace? as you look at your past. What does God want you to do right now? And then where is he leading us to? What is the hope that we cling to in the moments of trial and difficulty when things are not going our way, when you wouldn't talk about being blessed, but the reality is that God has put his blessing on his people. And it's, it's surprising in this passage that God calls Abram he was not the likeliest of people, but he calls him to abandon the things and the people that he's known and to go to a place that God has prepared to him. I did some research this week on those who would claim to be children of Abraham, heirs to the promise. Um, there are 2.6 billion Christians in the world today. There are 14 million Jews and there are 2 billion Muslims. And as we think about all these people who claim Father Abraham, the one uh, who uh, was faithful, we have to ask the question, who are the heirs to the promise of Abram? See, the problem is today that there, there are many that claim that promise, but the good news is in Romans 4 when it says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Faith. Faith is the key that unlocks the blessing of Abraham. That, and we have to ask the question, how do we know where our hearts are? How do we know where we are this morning? Um, one thing that you may not know about me uh, is as I was growing up, um, my parents, uh, my dad worked in finance. And when I was in middle school, he moved us overseas. For the first time in my life, I was in a land and a people group that I had never known before. Uh, we lived in Australia on the brink of Y2K um, as he was working in the banking industry. And one thing that I learned while I was there is that Australia as a continent is actually drifting. Um, every year, it's very slight. However, with the advent of GPS, since 1994, the entire country has drifted a combined five feet. And you wouldn't think that's a big deal, but with drones and driverless tractors and all of these things, it's really starting to cause a problem um, because of property lines and things like that. Um, and so you can imagine somebody getting your delivery. Maybe that happens to you now. Uh, people get your deliveries um, and, uh, you know, tractors plowing down, fencing. Um, and so the reality is uh, continents even in this world drift, but the promises of God do not change. So as we think about Genesis, we want to remember that the promise of blessing that was for Abram is also for his descendants, those who are in the family of Abraham. And so as we look at verses 27 through 32 of chapter 11, I want us to see the source of blessing. So Abram's father is listed, his entire family, his genealogy. Maybe you're into genealogies. Um, I got into genealogies a few years ago. Um, my family's from Indiana, and so I've got a huge family tree. Um, I have more cousins than I can count. I don't know how many of you have that, but I've never met some of my cousins. Uh, so as we think about the family of Abram, his dad is listed here in chapter 11, and it's the only time in the Bible that we see Terah's name. And the reason is because 
of what his name meant. So Abram's family were idol worshipers. Terah actually means moon. Um, and the reason is because they worship the Sumerian moon god. Um, in addition, we see other names such as uh, Milka and Sarai. These were the god's consort and his daughter. And so they were in a land of idol worship. God was leading them out of uh, this, this place of idolatry. And so what I want you to hear this morning is that our relationship to God matters. It doesn't matter where you came from, but God wants us to know that your relationship to him matters. And it's, in fact, a cautionary tale later on in Joshua 24, one of my favorite books. There's a warning to the people of Israel that says, Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Put away those things that distract you from where I'm leading you, from what I have for your life, and follow me to a place that I've prepared for you. The other thing is that blessing comes unexpectedly. We see in this genealogy that Sarah was barren and she had no child. The words here uh, are, are uh, hopelessness. This would have been a part in the story where everybody would have thought, that's it, there was no hope. This would have been a mark of shame in their family, in fact. But God made a way. God provided a future where there wasn't one. In fact, Sarah's infertility, it tests his faith and it drives the whole story. And so you can imagine the people of Israel arrayed on the plains of Moab hearing this story and getting goosebumps as it gets to this part in the genealogy because they knew, they knew this was not the end of the story. And so we have hope in knowing that God provides a way even when it seems like there is no hope and he leads them to a place of blessing. Terah set out for the land of Canaan, but he never makes it into uh, the promised land or Canaan. And they stop because they stop at yet another city or town that was centered on idolatry, the Sumerian idolatry of the moon god. And Terah never makes it where God is leading Abram. And yet Abram was invited. He was summoned to go and to follow God's promise uh, beyond and to go to the place that God had prepared for him. Uh, God knew that they had to abandon the things that were weighing them down so that they could make the journey that he had ahead for them. Uh, I don't know if any of you in the room are hikers, uh, but I've hiked the Appalachian Trail quite a bit. Uh, any hikers in the room? Yeah? Um, so I've taken high school students on the Appalachian Trail about five times. Uh, and one of my favorite parts as we're preparing for a hike is to see what students will bring with them in their pack on a journey. Because the reality is they have to carry everything with them on their backs. Um, and so I've seen everything from an entire roll of duct tape um, to an iPod to, uh, to battery powered, you know, you name it, video games. Um, but the reality that I know is that they're not going to make the journey with everything that they're carrying. They have to let go of some of those things they think are essential to make the full uh, length of the journey. And uh, as I think about that, and I think about the story of Abram, I'm reminded that God many times wants to peel our fingers off of the things in our lives that we think are essential. For Abram, that was idol worship. God wanted them to leave that behind and to follow him to the place that he had prepared for them. And that's what blessing looked like. What they actually thought was uh, that flourishing and wealth and all of those things were, were, uh, were what it meant to be blessed, but in fact, to be a part of God's story, 
God's plan, of what he was doing in leading them to a place that he had prepared for them. And so many times we can count our blessings as physical uh, items. Uh, perhaps you, you purchase a new automobile or a house or a boat, and it's like, look how blessed I am. And yes, that is a part of it. But the reality is that God has so much more. Abram's father was spiritually absent in a lot of ways from leading him to the place that God had provided for him, and yet God broke through anyways. Abram stands as the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 5, where it says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or on the earth below or that's in the water under the, sea, under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. God wants our whole hearts. All those things that we think are so important. Maybe it's, it's a good thing, but we idolize so quickly. Our hearts are idol factories. And we so often elevate things that God never intended, that God created simply for our enjoyment, but not our worship. And so that's the promise. That's the promise that God is making to Abram, is that uh, even as God says that he will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate him, the promise that continues is it says, God will show steadfast love to thousands who love him and keep his commandments. Abram clings to that promise. And you see, it's the love of God that pursues us, that drives us on. Uh, my children and my wife and I, we uh, read the, story, the Jesus Storybook Bible a lot before bedtime. And uh, here's what it says. It says, see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God loves his children with a never-stopping never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That's the beauty of God's love, his grace, his plan of redemption for his people. Abraham grew up in an unchurched family, and God still made a way for him. So the, the source of blessing is what we see there at the beginning, but the next thing we see is the state of blessing. So Abram is called to go out from a country that uh, he had known his whole life. Imagine, 75 years old, and God calls him and says, it's time to move. For some of you, maybe that's not that hard to imagine. Maybe you move from another state. But in this economy of God, he calls us to trust and obey and to remain steadfast. Uh, the, the state of blessing to Abraham rests on God choosing him. It was of no merit of Abram's. It wasn't because he was the best or the brightest. It was because God set his love on him. And he chose him for his purposes. And in Deuteronomy 7, it says uh, that, that God set apart a holy people to the Lord, a chosen people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number, but that the Lord set his love on you and he chose you. That's the promise of blessing. That's probably one of my kids. <laughs> that's the promise of blessing is, is that God uh, chose us for no other reason than he delighted in you and it was for his hope and his future God summoned Abram uh, I, I looked on Google Maps just because we have this incredible tool it would have taken a week to walk from where Abram was uh, at the end of 11 to where God was preparing a place for him and that's, uh, that's longer than I've walked in my life. I don't know about you. Maybe you, you've taken a longer hike than me. But the Lord said to Abraham, go. You can imagine what his wife and his children and his extended family, what their reactions would have been. But it was the state of blessing that God was calling Abram to. 
one day in the future, Jesus also would call a group of individuals to go and to follow him. Jesus said to his disciples, he said, you did not choose me, but I chose you to come and, and follow. John wrote, he, we love because he first loved us. It's God's initiative. It's him moving into our space, into our lives, and transforming it from a place of, uh, of absence to a place of blessing. It's not easy to leave your country and your home, your kindred and your relatives. Many of you know what that's like. Maybe you grew up somewhere else. For my wife and I, we've, we grew up in Florida, so this is kind of the place we've been. We've been circling the state. But for others of you, maybe this is a new, new experience. But to leave everything you've known, all the people and things, and trust God that even in a new place and a new people, he's going to do a work of grace and redemption in your life. God's saying to Abraham that following him must be the first priority. In fact, Jesus tells his disciples, whoever would leave father and, or mother, who, whoever would love father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This state of blessing comes from faithfulness to the Lord. It doesn't mean that family is an evil or a bad thing, but it questions what are our first priorities. Is it love for God? Is it, is it his calling on our lives? Um, over the past 24 hours since we've been here, we've seen a lot of horses in the area. Um, I was not raised around horses. I don't know horses that much. Um, but I was reading the other day, there are many different ways to train a horse. One is breaking a horse, breaking its will. Another uh, was developed by a man named Monty Roberts, um, and it's called the join-up technique. Monty Roberts uh, was observing wild mustangs uh, in the Badlands, and he, he wanted to find a way to create an environment of trust, and an environment of respect. He noticed that uh, wild horse groups would, uh, would slowly uh, come together, even if they hadn't spent that much time together. And so he began uh, this process where in 30 minutes he would have a horse ready to put a saddle on and a bridle simply by uh, earning their trust and respect. Not by demanding it, but by coming alongside and inviting that horse to follow in a new direction. He would turn his back on the horse and the horse would begin to follow. And within 30 minutes, this join-up technique um, would develop uh, an atmosphere of mutual respect that communicated, I'm not going to hurt you. You don't have to follow me if you don't want to. And by the end, this beautiful joining together. And I think that's a picture of what God is doing with Abram. He could have demanded, he could have ordered him to do what he was asking. But instead, God comes alongside Abram and says, you can trust me. You can follow me. You can obey. And I am for you. And I want to walk with you, and I want to go before you and lead you to a place that will be for your flourishing and your blessing. That's the beauty of the gospel, is that God wants us to come along with him on a journey that's so, so much greater than anything we could ever imagine. So often we, we picture such, such small beginnings, but God sees the whole picture. He knows exactly what he's doing. And so I want to ask you this morning, do you know the blessings of God in your life to the level that you would follow Jesus with all your trust, your obedience, and your worship? The worship of our lives is so much more than, than simply the songs that we sing on a Sunday morning. It's the rhythms of his grace. It's how we go about our week, how we choose the things that we do and we don't do. 
And this promise of blessing extends to any who would have faith in Jesus Christ this morning. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus to the level that you'll walk with him? That is the state of blessing. And it's counting the cost of discipleship. The state of blessing demands a response, and it's grounded in security and the hope of blessing. And that brings us to our third and final uh, thing that I want you to see from this passage. In verses 5 through 9, the blessing of a Savior. It talks about uh, how Abram brought his wife and his family into a new land, and he worshipped everywhere he went. Ultimately, this blessing of Abraham is, is fulfilled in God's provision of this true seed of Abraham. It was Jesus Christ. We can follow the connections all the way to the Jesus who is coming. Calvin said this. He said, Abram endeavored as much as lay in him to dedicate to God every part of the land to which he had access, and he perfumed it with his faith. Everywhere he went, the beauty of his faith shone to the point where the people in the land would know the name of God. And he loved and cherished And in fact, there's a promise in Matthew 19 where where Jesus tells his disciples, he says, everyone who has left their houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my namesake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. That is the beauty of what God wants for us. This promise that if we would walk with him, we would know blessing for eternity. This morning I was reading Hebrews 11 where Abraham is named and his faith was in a city that God is building whose foundations will never pass away, will never be shaken. How often do you find yourself daydreaming of heaven, of what God is doing, of the holy city that he is leading us to? The promise of Abraham is for the sons of Abraham that inherit it in Jesus Christ. Jesus claims in John 8, he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham, the call to go. And Jesus, too, would call his followers to go in Matthew 28, in the Great Commission, to go and make disciples of all nations. Where once it was a bloodline and a boundary, it expands to all nations. It's that beautiful journey. It's that big picture of what God is doing in the kingdom that is coming and his redemption There is uh, one author, one theologian who who said this. He said, election isn't just for our benefit and our salvation. When God chooses his people, it is for the blessing of others, to become agents of blessing to them. And he uses this illustration of a group of people trapped in a cave. And they chose one person from their number to squeeze through a narrow passage to get to the surface to call for help. But the point of the choice was not so that that person alone would be saved, but that they would bring help, they would bring equipment to ensure that the rest of those people were saved. God choosing his people is for for the blessing of the nations. It's not just for Israel, it's for all those who would see and worship the name of God. C.S. Lewis in his Four Loves says this, All human beings pass away. Do not let your happiness depend on something that you might lose. If love is to be a blessing and not a misery, it must be for the only beloved who will never pass away, and his name is Jesus. The blessing comes by the name of Jesus Christ and our faith and hope in him. That is the hope that we have. There's a story of these brave missionaries who became one-way missionaries about 200 years ago. 
They bought one-way tickets to the mission field. They packed their belongings into coffins, and they sailed away saying goodbye to their loved ones and everything they knew. They would never come back. One of those missionaries was uh, A.W. Milne, and he set sail for the South Pacific, and he was aware. There were headhunters, um, and there were many that, who had been martyred before him, but his uh, bags were packed, his coffin secured, and for 35 years he lived among that tribe. But when, they, when he died, after 35 years of ministry, they buried him in the middle of the village and inscribed his tombstone with this. When he came here, there was no light, and when he left, there was no darkness. There was no darkness. A light to the nations. The hope of blessing through Abraham is by the name of Jesus Christ. And as his followers, we follow him knowing that in him is blessing. Jesus is the hope of the world. To know that one day every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And today, we can make his name known in much the same way that Abram journeyed from place to place, erecting an altar and worshiping him. William Carey, the great missionary, once said, we should expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. That was on the wall of my seminary while I was there. And it was a reminder to me that so often we fixate on so small details. And God has a plan that's far greater than anything that we have yet imagined That's the promise of blessing, is that Abraham in the land of Canaan would follow God and ultimately an eternal blessing, not just a land and a people, but a new kingdom that God was bringing. That in Jesus Christ, that uh, we would not suffer eternal damnation, but know the blessing that comes through eternal life in him. That is a blessing of a crazy uh, God who is crazy about his children that we would repent and receive it by faith this morning. Do you know Jesus? Do you know the hope and the blessing that's found in him? And would you love him with everything you have, with all that you got? Let me pray for us as we close this morning. Thank you for joining us on this podcast, a production of Seven Rivers Villages Church in Wildwood, Florida. Learn more at sevenriversvillages.org.